Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am excited to have with me Pastor Tim Ross, and I know you just want to be called Tim, so I'm going to just Thank call you. Tim. Yep. <laughs> um, he is the pastor of Embassy City Church in Irving, Texas. They have a podcast. You can check out their church on a podcast called Embassy City on podcast. And then he has written a book called Upset the World, which I could not get enough of, and I read the whole thing. And so I'm really excited to have you. So welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Heidi, for having me. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah. So Tim is a walking example of how to be real and vulnerable and talk about mental health. Tim, could you just kind of share how has the Lord been able to teach you that? And we'll pull out some of the stories that you have as you share that. I'll start with the trauma, if I could, and work my way up to where God got into it and the Holy Spirit got into it, if that's okay. Yes. So at the age of eight years old, I was sexually abused by a neighbor that lived across the street from me for a six month period of time. Obviously, I don't need to go into the details of how devastating that is for a child. And at the age of 12, I was exposed to pornography and pornography and masturbation became my coping mechanism to numb me from the pain of what happened to me at eight. Then in my late teens, full-blown porn addict, highly insecure, wildly promiscuous. At the age of 19, my mom actually caught me looking at pornography and masturbating, which is probably the most embarrassing thing for a teenage boy. But as a result, on that night, I actually confessed to my mom where the root was. She saw the fruit of my behavior, but I knew the root. And so I told her what the root was. Really at 19, the eight-year-old finally got to talk. Eight-year-old Timmy got to show up and actually tell his mommy what he wanted to tell her at eight and felt like he couldn't because my narrative actually subconsciously, because I wouldn't have known this at eight, but my narrative at eight was vulnerability is dangerous. If I share, my mom's going to be heartbroken. My dad's going to kill the guy and I'll never see my daddy again. So I have to keep this secret. And so that's the lie that I believed at the time. But that night I shared it with my mom. She woke up my younger brother, Miles, who's 17 months younger than me. He was abused by the same boy. And then my mom confesses that when she was a child, her babysitter sexually abused her. And then my dad confessed that all in one night that he was sexually abused by the owner of a comic book store when he was five years old. So in one night, which should have been the most embarrassing thing ever, turned into this huge moment of exposure and healing and confession and freedom. Six months after that confession, uh, first of all, I felt like a 2000 slab piece of concrete came off of my chest because we weren't designed to hold secrets. No, we were not. So six months later, I gave my life to Jesus, January 14th of 1996. There was no sermon preached. There was no altar call given. The Holy Spirit just convicted me of my sins and I gave my life to Jesus. But you right? grew up with a praying mom. You grew up yes. in church. 
Because I think there's a lot of people that are listening. They grew up in church and they just assumed they're saved. Right. No, I was not. I was clear that I was not. My parents pastored a church for 15 years and I heard every sermon, but then I went to the club and then I went to go hang out with my friends. So there was nothing about me that was living. I just happened to live in the house with parents who went to church and loved God. But I had to find it for myself. You know, my parents' salvation did not automatically transfer to my account. This may sound like a bad question, but did they not force it on you? Because no, they didn't. That I think is a lesson for parents to listen and hear, because I think a lot of times people who grow up in the church have this anxiety and this like fear around my child isn't going to know Jesus. And so they kind of force it on them. Yeah. But letting the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit does is, is really what your parents did. I am a testament of that. My parents lived it in front of me. They were the same at home that they were at church. So there was no incongruency there. And as a result, when the Holy Spirit invited me into a relationship with Jesus, I was like, yeah, my parents are fantastic. I want to be them, right? So I have the opposite story of most PK kids. (laughs) Hearing how your testimony is and how you are so real and authentic is really how I think it should be. I feel like this is what we need to be doing in our homes is letting the spirit lead. Yeah. Parents did that because I feel like your testimony, it's like powerful and it's real. Yes. Like God really met you. It wasn't like someone was forcing it on you. It was no him alone. Wow. So January 14th, 1996, give my life to Jesus. Yay. January 15th of 1996, I pick up one of my dad's Thompson chain reference, King James version of the Bibles. And I start from Genesis 1-1 and I just start reading it. Because I'm like, well, I'm a believer now. I guess I should read the Bible. The more I read the Bible, the more I realized that God is a therapist. Wow. This all started clicking in my head in terms of what it means to confess and what it means to speak and why the enemy would make every attempt to hold us in silence. Because the first thing we know about God is that he spoke. (laughs) So he made us to speak. We're made in his image. He made us to speak. And so... The enemy wants to silence us in that regard. And then Genesis 3 is a counseling session. Genesis 1 and 2 are the boundaries that are given by God. The the first institution is marriage. And then when Adam and Eve sin and God comes through the garden, the first question he asks is the same question a therapist would ask. Where are you? Wow. I mean, if that's not therapy oh, one-on-one, I don't know what it is, right? That's true. And, and he wasn't looking for Adam. It wasn't a geolocational question. I can't find you. You're hiding so good in the bushes that I can't seem to find where you are. Right. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Yes. So he knew where Adam was. The question was submitted to Adam to see if Adam knew where he was. That's what a good therapist does. A good therapist goes, I know where you are. Do you know? because we can't start this journey until you're self-aware enough to know that you have an issue that you have a problem so it's self-awareness self-awareness the first question ever asked by god in human history is a self-awareness question it's not what did you do it's literally where are you (laughs) the second question he asked because adam he has completely spiraled he's gone from knowing god to knowing good and what a horrible trade-off that is He's already spiraled, so he starts blame shifting and deflecting, and he can't answer the question, and he can't see himself. He's too self-conscious to see himself. God's follow-up question is, who told you that? What lie have you believed? Who told you you were naked? (laughs) Right? (laughs) And, And so, again, another therapist question. 
And then the third question he asked, which was actually directed towards Eve, was so powerful. And Eve, I believe, I know I'll probably get in trouble with a theologian over this, but I believe the reason why sin isn't attributed to Eve and only attributed to Adam is because Eve was the only one that was self-aware enough to answer her question truthfully. Because the third question that God asked was to Eve, and it was, what have you done? And Eve's response was, the serpent deceived me, and I ate the fruit, which was the most honest answer yes. that could have been given. Like She literally answered the question the way she was supposed to answer the question. Yes. And so when a person is self-aware enough to know where they are and they can determine that they've been deceived, that they've been lied to, that they've believed a lie, and as a result of that lie, they behaved in a certain way. Wow. Now we can do something. Yeah. Now we can move forward. I've been a believer for 26 years and I've been in some form of counseling and or therapy for 24 because the trauma that I experienced and the subsequent behavior that I participated in a six week counseling session wasn't going to do it. I needed ongoing tools and resources. And then once I got into the groove and I saw what it was doing for my mind and my soul, I just thought to myself, this needs to be a part of my life. Hmm. People go to a dentist Mm -hmm. twice a year. People go for a physical once a year, right? If they have a cold that lingers past seven days, they're going to their doctor. Society has made it acceptable to go treat every single part of your body Hmm. except for your mind. If no one calls you crazy, if you need to go to the doctor to have gallstones removed. No, they don't. (laughs) Nobody calls you crazy if you have a eye infection and you went to go get some medication for it. But it's nobody calls you crazy if you have to take insulin shots because you have type 2 diabetes. We're doing all these things to regulate the body, but then we're called crazy. The clients, therapists are called quacks and shrinks. And, you know, they're just trying to take your money and you should be able to figure out everything yourself. It's like, we have so disrespected the brain as an organ. We have so disrespected the emotional well-being of our lives, knowing that when we are alone, there are things that we cannot resolve by ourselves. And in the same way, most people wouldn't go do their own toes or their own fingernails. They'd go to a pedicurist or manicurist to push back their cuticles. We won't go to a therapist to push back some of the fog so we can address our pain. So was this easy for you to just step into this revelation? Because what I see as a therapist is a lot of people who they even have shame around even being in the therapist's office. And even when they're in my office, it takes them a while to even trust me because the wounds that they've experienced outside, how did you get to this powerful revelation where you felt safe? Because honestly, there are therapists that are not very good. Correct. You know, oh, absolutely. I mean, just yes. Like any position, there are some that can do damage and there are people yeah. that are really vulnerable and they go to somebody who's maybe they're saying that they're Christian and they're really living a pretty sinful life and not giving good advice or they're giving their yeah. own personal bias about something. And it's not really about answering the questions that you talked about in Genesis and revealing who God says this person is. So right. how did you get here and break through all of what I just said? Again, the lie that I believed that governed my life for so long, Heidi, was that vulnerability is dangerous. And if vulnerability is dangerous, then I can't open up. But if I can't open up, then I'm in prison. After telling my parents and confessing and that 2,000 pound weight coming off my chest, 
I made a decision then and there, just before even giving my life to Jesus. I will never hold a secret again. Somebody's going to have to know because there is absolutely no way I'm going back to that prison. After I got out of that prison, I'm leaving Alcatraz. I'm swimming to the shore. I'm never going back to this as long as I live. There was zero way anybody was going to get me back to being a secret keeper. It was not going to happen because that confession was in a safe environment, a stable environment. There was acceptance and love. It just made it easy for me to go, well, vulnerability is not dangerous anymore. My life narrative around vulnerability now is that vulnerability is my superpower. And the way that I explain it to people is that I am vulnerable at the risk of other people's discomfort. If my vulnerability freaks you out, then you need to distance yourself from me because I'm not changing. Like, this is who I am. I'm out. This is like what the world does. This is what the world does is we shrink ourselves. We become less than who we are because we don't want to make other people uncomfortable. And the whole world, I'm just speaking as a believer, the whole world is making people uncomfortable. Pick a sector of the world, pick a sector of government, pick a sector of secular society. They're all very comfortable making other people uncomfortable. I just refuse to live where I can't do the same in my space. But I do want to submit because I'm an empath. And so I have a lot of empathy for people that have stepped into a place or have been hurt by somebody that they opened up to and tried to trust. The other thing I will say about vulnerability that I hope doesn't scare anybody is that vulnerability is risky. You have to risk being misunderstood. You have to risk being mislabeled. You have to risk being judged, but it's a risk worth taking. It is a risk worth taking. If you've been hurt by somebody The encouragement that I always give is that don't penalize the rest of the world based on the hurt you received from one individual. You can't let Sharon hurt you and then say, see, this is why I don't trust anybody. Right. In the same, I've heard people in, in my space, there are a lot of pastors falling, right? Because they've never addressed their mental health. So they're falling like stars out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And what I'll hear often as a refrain is, see, this is why I don't go to church. And this is why I don't trust any pastors. And so my response to them, to the people I'm close enough to, to engage with is, have you ever got food poisoning? They're like, yeah. I'm like, from a restaurant? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, have you been back to a restaurant? And they're like, Yeah. I said, have you been back to that restaurant? They were like, no, I haven't gone back to that restaurant, but I've been to another restaurant. I'm like, so you didn't write off all restaurants when one of them poisoned you. (laughs) Why would you write off all churches, right? right? Why would you write off all people? That restaurant poisoned you. Not all restaurants, that one did. Keep that same energy. (laughs) When it comes to understanding that hurt people are hurting And it's hard for them not to hurt other people as a result. Mm. So, Oh, this is so good. I feel like there's a fundamental belief underneath what you're talking about, about God. We all like food, but Mm -hmm. there's some people that what they'll do, it's a bigger deal to write off the God of the universe. That's right. Many people don't believe that God really is good. What you got was you got this fundamental connection to God on your own by yourself. Nobody else did that the holy spirit led him to you and you had this divine experience like you know that you know that you know god is real and he loves tim that's right oh absolutely and i think some people are seeking and searching and they don't really know that yeah. god 
is real. Yeah, Heidi, you make a point that makes me emotional because the day I gave my life to Jesus, I had a porn stash under my bed. And I remember thinking to myself before I stood up to give my life to Jesus in that service, I have to go home and get rid of this porn stash. And then next week I'll come back and I'll do this. But like I got, there's some stuff I need to get together. right? And I'll never forget feeling like the Holy Spirit said to me, as I was thinking this thought, Tim, you won't go home and do that unless you take me with you. So the day that I gave my life to Jesus, on that day, I was a born again porn addict. And he was so okay. <laughs> he was so okay. Because God, when he comes into a relationship with you, he comes to you as you are. He takes you as you are with the guarantee that he will not leave you as you are. So all of our brokenness, all of our things that we struggle with, you're breaking up a lot of people's, like yeah. what they think right now. Like there's a lot yeah. of people that are like, no, what? I don't get this. This is it. This is where I think people get God wrong. Yeah, they do. Of, they do. Because of religion, because of religion. And you talk That's about right. the power, because I don't think people understand religion. Can you explain that? Because I think many people get set free from the spirit of religion. Oh, explain absolutely. How, how we attach religion to disengaging our real relationship with God. That's correct. First, you know, there's been a big wave over the last few years, a wave that I have to admit that I got swept up in before my Messianic Jewish friend kindly corrected me, right? <laughs> and so the tagline that we were all saying is, it's about relationship. Relation. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And so my dear Messianic Jewish friend, Matt Rosenberg said, buddy, Jesus was the most religious guy you'd ever meet. And there's nothing wrong with religion. Religion is a beautiful thing. And so he just like kind of broke it down to me, to my little Gentile mind. After he finished giving me his paradigm, I let it go into the crock pot of my mind and kind of settle in. Here was my takeaway. My takeaway was that I'm religious about a lot of things. I love going to church on Sundays. I love listening to worship music. I love spending time with my family. One of the things I'm very religious about is my date nights with Juliet. We have a date every Friday, whether we go out or stay in date night, Friday night with Juliet. And it's religious. It's become a religion because I love the relationship. And because I love the relationship, I've set aside some time religiously to spend time nurturing this relationship. When religion is expressed and tied to the relationship, it is beautiful. Okay. Here's the danger. And here's where a lot of people have gotten the relationship uh, distance from the religion. If on a Friday night, Juliet told me, baby, I know we're supposed to go to this movie. I have such a bad headache. Oh, it feels like a migraine. I'm not going to be able to go. I just want to stay in bed. And if my response is, I've already purchased the tickets and I'm going to the movie anyway, this is empty religion. Wow. Because I have chosen to do the thing, mm. whether the person I was doing it with is here or not. Wow. That's where so many people have gotten frustrated when they look at people in church because they can tell, I don't think 
you're doing this with or for Jesus anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you care if he's here. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. You're going to show up on Sunday, whether he's here or not. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to do your thing, whether he's here or not. And God hates that type of religion. Right. And so do we, everybody picks up on it. Like, well, if you're, if you say you're here on a date night and you're here by yourself, then this is kind of creepy and I don't even want to be a part <laughs> of it. Right. I can't even celebrate this. That's what we do. We don't know that. That's we're what we do. That. That's exactly we right. We don't know. We're not aware. That's right. And so I find it completely empty religion for someone to believe that they would have to have it all together for God to love them. God took me with a porn addiction and just said, I just want you to follow me. I just believe the longer you follow me and experience my love, you're not going to be able to hold porn. You're not going to be able to hold promiscuity. Like you won't be able to hold it because I'm just going to love it out of you. And not in this sappy way. Like love has boundaries. Love has some clearly defined boundaries that that govern you. And love convicts. It doesn't condemn. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you when it's wrong. It won't keep an account of the wrong, but it will tell you, oh, you're wrong right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? And so I, over the last 26 years, all of these things have literally been shaved off of me. I can't even tell you. Some of them fell off because I was holding it and I could just drop it. Yep. Other stuff I felt like was attached to me. Uh, like the, you, you know, the, the, the pornography got wired in me at 12 years old. It was a part of the way I coped. It was in my neurosystem, right? In the thinking. <laughs> it um, was in my thinking. I'm struggling. This is what I need to release the difficulty. I'm not going to have those icky emotions. I need porn. To, That's to exactly right. That's exactly you, right. So you had to get your mind renewed. And the Holy Spirit helped you with it without being condemned, without shame. That's exactly right. He was loving as he did. That's right. That's right. I was not shamed out of a porn addiction. I was loved out of it. Yeah. Loved out of it to the point that it was like, you know what? I'm sick of me. I actually want to be punished for this relapse. Mm. And you're loving me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) This doesn't make sense. This is incongruent with the way I think this relationship should be. But, oh, the people that have talked about you in this way haven't experienced this love because they stopped inviting you to their dates. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So how would you invite somebody who's, as they're listening to you, they're like, that's been me. I do the things out of empty religion. How can somebody step into that place where they can be connected to God? They can be connected to the Holy Spirit where they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe all that but they're operating in this place of empty religion. How can, oh, absolutely. how can somebody step into that place where there's a connection with the Holy Spirit? There's a connection with Jesus, their connection with Father God. I'm going to make it super simple. So simple that the person that wants the answer to this question is going to go, it has to be more than that. I want them to set aside. I double dog dare you to set aside 10 minutes a day. Read a verse. It don't even have to be a whole chapter. Read a verse and talk to God. Talk to him like you would a friend on the phone. You don't have to walk in there and, oh, thou most high creator, most sovereign God, leader of all things. You are omniscient, omnipotent. Your majesty and your glory reign supreme. (laughs) None of that needs to be said. If you would just say, dad, I'm tired. I'm tired of being empty. I'm tired of Sunday being the only day I feel something. I want to feel you here 
I want to feel you with me now. And I apologize for taking our relationship for granted. You can do more in 60 seconds than I can do in a lifetime. And I just want to be here with you. And if you just set aside 10 minutes, maybe you read the Bible verse and then you said your prayer or you had just conversation with God and there's eight and a half minutes left. Just sit there. (laughs) Just sit there. And when the 10 minutes is up, go do whatever you were doing. And then the next day, show up. I'm not even saying it has to be at the same time. I'm just saying, set aside 10 minutes. And I promise you, 10 is going to turn to 15 before you know it. 15 is going to turn to 30. 30 might turn into 45. And before you know it, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to spend my time with the Lord. Wednesday morning, every Wednesday morning, I get up at 5 a.m. And I wind up, I get to the church around 6.05, between 6.05, 6.10. And I have from 6 in the morning until eight in the morning to read my Bible, listen to worship music and pray. And sometimes it's more heavy on the Bible reading than it is the prayer time. Sometimes I've talked his ear off, if that's possible. Um, Sometimes I've just listened to my worship playlist for like an hour and 45 minutes. And then I read the Bible for five minutes and then I prayed for another five minutes. And then I just sat there in silence for another five minutes and my two hours is up. It doesn't have to be this formula. When I go on a date with my wife, like literally Fridays is like, so what you want to do? Not like this. Well, we must go to the movies and then I got to take you to dinner and then and we watch, watch this show. It's just like, well, what do you want to do this Friday? It's like, I don't know. I just want to be with you. Right. It's a hootie and a blowfish remix. Right. <laughs> I only want to be with you. Yeah. So I'm saddened by the fact that we have made the word religion synonymous with rigidity because it's yeah. not. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> religion is the ultimate expression of how much you care about this relationship. But it comes from love. It comes, and it comes love from love. love. Like that's the overflow. Can you tell the story of your father-in-law? Yes. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. So my father-in-law hated God, hated God. He would curse you out if you were watching Christian television. He literally fought his son for watching a Christian program when his son was like 11. Just a very abusive man. He almost killed my mother-in-law twice, put her in the hospital. He was an angry man, bitter man, hated God. So he winds up falling and being bound to a wheelchair, getting lung cancer from smoking for years and years. And he lives in Jamaica. So my wife goes to see him in Jamaica and she recorded me because I had to go to Australia. So she recorded me giving a message to my dad on her iPad. And so I said, well, babe, I'm going to ask him if he wants a relationship with Jesus, because the only thing he can do is throw the iPad, right? Like he can't punch me or, (laughs) you know, cuss me out. So I record this message. And at the end of it, I say, daddy, if you haven't opened up your life to Jesus, I'm telling you now, he would love to have a relationship with you, all this stuff. I record it, give it to my wife. They go to Jamaica. My dad watches the video and then he kind of just flicks the iPad, doesn't even say anything about it to my wife. And a couple of days later, when they get ready to leave, my dad kind of sits up in the bed and he goes, "Uh, when is Tim coming? And Juliet said, well, daddy, he's in Australia, but when he gets back, he'll come. And he goes, okay. I get back from Australia and I get a panic call a couple of days later from my sister-in-law who says like his health has taken a very sharp turn and, and we don't think he has long to live. So I book an emergency flight to Jamaica, get there. I walk into the room. He is skin on bones, right? That death rattle is in his voice and you can tell he's declining. His body's shutting down. 
And I walk in the door and me being me, I was like, daddy, I came to see you. And he literally strengthened himself. He leans up in the bed and he goes, I need you to pray for me. And he just kind of sinks back down in the bed. So I said, well, dad, that's what I'm here. Grab his hand. And the family said he hadn't slept in like two and a half days. He's anxious. He's, he, he can't sleep and he's fidgeting. So I grab his hand. I pray for him. He falls asleep immediately after the prayer. He falls asleep. I'm just sitting there next to the bed and I'm holding his hand. And every time I try to kind of slip my hand away, he wakes up and squeezes it. So I'm Aww. there for like an hour and a half just holding his hand when this guy takes a nap. Yeah. So uh, the Holy Spirit says, when he wakes up, read to him Romans 10, 8 and 9. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He said, read that to him when he wakes up. I said, okay. So when he wakes up from his nap, I grab my Bible. I said, daddy, I want to read you something. Uh, and I read, I read the verse. And then I said, do you believe that? He leaned up in the bed again. And he goes, I do. And I went, well, dude, you're saved. <laughs> this is the greatest day. Of, uh, dude, I'm so happy. You yeah. just gave your life to Jesus. And he leaned back in the bed, Heidi, and he just had this, this peace just literally, like it's like somebody poured it over his face. And he's sitting there and he's going like this, like, like shaking his head in affirmation, like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this just happened, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was at 7.30 p.m. on, I think, a Wednesday night, I think. And at 7.35 a.m., he was with Jesus, 12 hours before he died. He gave his life to Jesus and they gave me the honor of eulogizing him Wow! at the funeral. I always give an altar call at funerals. It's just the best time. So never is the juxtaposition of death and life more pronounced than it is at a funeral. I give an altar call at his funeral. Five people give their life to Jesus. They're all his family. It was like his grandson, his son. And it was unbelievable. But at the funeral, the title of the message that I preached was called, He Waited on Me. And at first blush, it sounded self-aggrandizing. Tim talking about the fact that our dad and uncle waited on him to get there. And I love having tension in a message, right? So I'm a preacher. I, I communicate for a living. So I love the tension. And at the end, what I made everybody aware of is that God waited on him for 76 years. And he loved him so much. Although he wanted a lifetime with him, he took the 12 hours and now he's with him in eternity. And that's the love of our God, that even a person that is vehemently opposed to a relationship with him, God is so patient that he'll wait to your last 12 hours and come to you again and say, I still love you. I'm right here. Thank you so much for sharing that because it doesn't, oh, no doesn't matter how long we take. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Nope. I think you've broken off a lot from what you've shared today and you're doing it in your church. And I would really encourage the listeners to listen to his eight week series on mental health. I've actually recommended it to clients and Thank you. the counselors around your area have had to actually hire more people because people are actually going to counseling now because of the series that you did. That's correct. Yeah. yeah we, so we have so many, we actually had a quorum of mental health professionals start attending our church when I started the mental health series because they were in shock. I can't believe a pastor is actually not just doing a message. It's a series. Mm -hmm. So they started showing up to the series and I, and I think a few of them actually joined the church. 
And now they want to offer their services as, you know, just a part of giving back to the community. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's really good because this is what we need right now. The whole world needs this and you're modeling how to do it in a way that it's not weird. It's not awkward. You're still super cool. You're talking about this, just like you're eating your oatmeal. It just seems like it's just part of your life. I think a lot of pastors get worried about, oh, it's going to make you too vulnerable or it's going to make you mess up. Or I just feel like they're looking at the devil though, when they're saying these things, it's like, yeah, yeah. let Holy Spirit lead and let him be our guide instead of what could go wrong. Well, I want to co-sign on that because Here's a statement I've always challenged leaders with in the church, like pastors. If we would simply be as authentic, transparent, and vulnerable as the Bible we read, we'd all be okay. The Bible spared no detail in telling us about the brokenness and the frailty of the humanity that God decided to engage with. How dare us read the stories of David, the stories of Abraham, the stories of Jacob, all their brokenness, the denials of Peter, the betrayal of Judas, and try to act like it was all them and it's never been us. Away with that. (laughs) Away with that. It's not the Bible that he left us, and it's not the narrative we should leave our communities. I see a whole lot of new reformation of churches coming up from this. (laughs) May it be so. May it be so in Jesus' name. Yeah. So can you pray for our listeners? I know you're not a long prayer guy, but I would love to (laughs) pray for our listeners. Yeah, I can muster one up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> God, thank you so much for everyone that has decided to listen to this discussion uh, that we've had today. God, we did this because we just want to help people for no other reason than to bring people closer to you. So I pray for all of my brothers and sisters, all of your sons and daughters. And I would ask you, Lord God, that you would give them peace of mind, that you would give them bravery to step out of a world of silence into a world of speaking the truth of their narrative so that there may be healing for their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 (laughs) Thank you so much, Tim. So people can find you on Upset the Gram, on Instagram, and also embassycitychurch.com. And also exciting news, Mm -hmm. we are launching a podcast in July called The Basement with Tim Ross. And so this is where we'll be able to talk about everything, Christianity and culturally, and obviously try to help people normalize this conversation around what it is to have faith and mental health walk side by side. Man, this will be awesome. So January, 2000, you said January, January of this year. Yes. Uh Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll make sure to put those links on there. And thanks so much, Tim, for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you, Heidi. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensenLMFT.com. See you at our next episode.